Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, Katina, you've got an article for us. Is that right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, My article today is going to be about emotional cultures at work. So think about cultures and uh, what the culture is like. There can actually be a culture around emotions where certain emotions are more accepted and expressed more frequently. And we're going to be talking about a specific kind of emotion culture called a culture of companionate love, which is not like a romantic love, but a friendly, compassionate, caring environment is an environment of companionate love. And it has a lot of positive benefits at work. Well, I'm excited to hear about this. I think it's, to your point, not something people talk about that often. Um, and think about love in the workplace. It's usually kind of taboo because everyone thinks yes. romantic love, but this is yes. not it. Not romantic. No, it's not creepy. <laughs> this one's not creepy. It could be creepy, but it's not creepy. It's uh, nice when they're talking about like affection. It's more like your coworker has a bad day and you're like, oh, like, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? Like, it's more like showing like compassion for other people and less about like, I love you. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I um, yes. It's actually kind of funny timing because this is going to air right after Valentine's Day or like the week after Valentine's oh, Day. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Oh, my gosh. Well, obviously, I did that on purpose. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> totally planned. <Yes. laughs> so if we're talking about love in life, now we can talk about love and work, but with a... With a little L, not weird. <laughs> yes, yes. No no inappropriate relationships here. Just yes, correct. lots of caring for others. Yes, correct. So that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about like, what is it? And how can you make that come to life in your organization if you are interested? And also, why should you? What are the impacts of it? Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear about it. Yes, me too. In the meantime, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing pretty well. Um, yeah, not a ton going on as usual. Um, that's, yeah, that was my song of nothing's going on. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We how, got nothing. Yeah. How about you? Well, you just had a birthday, so I feel like I you got did. something. My birthday was lovely. Um, we got fancy takeout and um, we just basically hung out. We had like a Zoom call with friends um, and then um, we painted a wall in my um, <laughs> basement, which I had told you about, but um, now we have to paint it again because our handiwork wasn't as good in the daylight as as it was in the darkness (laughs) so this morning I realized it needs another coat so I'm gonna have to go back and do that but um but all in all it was a success in terms of like it's gonna be okay so that's a good thing um so yeah it was a very uh adult birthday take out zoom calls and painting a wall and that's what we did Well, it's a quarantine birthday is what it sounds like, a COVID birthday. And it's funny because we both are February birthdays. So this is going to be, we're like the last bunch of people to have quarantine birthdays because everyone's already had them. I know. It's very true. That's very true. Yeah. We're like 
Yeah, because I forget what I did for my birthday last year. I'm sure we went and did something. I can't remember what we did, but I'm sure we didn't stay in the house. Um, so, yeah, it is wild. I was thinking about this, or I was just talking to someone about this today, that um, so we moved to D.C. in July of 2018. So I didn't live here in the spring of 2018. The following spring, I broke my feet. And so I didn't go outside and I was like in bed all spring. And then the next spring, COVID lockdown. And now this spring again, will be in COVID lockdown. So I've literally lived here for three springs, but I have never experienced spring. Oh, that's so sad. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. I realized that I was like, the universe doesn't want me to know spring any longer. Like something's <laughs> happening. I'm like not allowed to know spring Oh. the last like three years so I was like there's gotta be spring 2022 I have to just like make it the spring of a lifetime it's got to be the spring of a lifetime I think you have to go to the do cherry blossom stuff next spring yeah I've I'm, never been to that I know you have to I did it I once when I lived out there um I mean I only lived there for two years so it's not really saying that much but uh yeah I did it once and it's so so pretty but it's so, so crowded. So yeah. I imagine that, like, obviously, I'm assuming last year everything was canceled and who knows what's going to happen this year. But yeah, probably something similar because yes. you don't really want to be out in that crowd. But maybe next right. year. Yeah, I think last year they, like, did it where they controlled, like, you had to, like, get a ticket or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, they, like, controlled how many people were there or something. Mm -hmm. But I still don't really want to go into the city and park and all that jazz. Um I'll do it when I can take the train again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it is just a strange thing. I'm like, I just, it's so weird. It just, all of a sudden it occurred to me that spring has never sprung for me <laughs> in DC. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> it is sad. I was like, wow. But, um, but yeah, so we're just, we'll just be hanging out and same thing for Valentine's day since this is airing right before Valentine's day or right after Valentine's day. Um, we will be, uh, we will be just doing the same thing. We got, we're getting like fancy takeout and whatever. And I know last year for a fact, I remember for Valentine's day, we went to a nice, um, restaurant in DC. So takeout time for this year, maybe by next spring, we'll be able to experience thing life again. I know. Yeah. I was thinking about my birthday last year and Danny and I went to this like really fun fancy sushi restaurant and Ooh. like and it's um it's like in LA but it's like it's near where we are now so it's not near where we used to live which is kind of fun too because it's something we were like we had just moved here so yeah. it's like a totally new restaurant but it's very hard to get in and there's no reservations you have to like go and you like sign your name on a list at like 5 p.m Ooh. and like there's like all these like ways to try to get your way in there's like maybe five or six tables at the most inside like it's really That's tiny cool. and so we like got in and it was so cool but it's such a tiny space and everybody's like on top of each other and yeah. thinking about it now I'm just like ooh, like the food was fantastic it was so so good but right that mm, so small <laughs> yeah it's like what's going on <laughs> yeah it's weird how that like feels weird I just think about all the restaurants that we would go to like all these little hole in the walls around the city that are you know, phenomenal, but insanely small <laughs> where you're just like yes. sitting next to the person that's in the other party and how uh, 
I mean, I haven't gone out to any of them, obviously, and haven't actually attempted takeout, which maybe I should because I have a feeling their businesses are probably suffering a lot since they don't have space to spread out even for outdoor dining. True. No, yeah, the small places. There's a place, I don't know if it was still here when you were, or if it was here when you lived here, but it's called Nasame, and it's like a really little sushi place Mm. in Old Town. And um, it's similar. They have like four or five tables in there and it's only like a chef's tasting menu. So like you're there for the whole evening when you go and it's like whatever courses, like seven or eight courses. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to stay in business. Like people will do takeout, but like they're not going to do like a chef's tasting menu takeout, like at the price that they would pay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like nobody, that's like a an experience that right. you're kind of paying for, not like oh, let me go pick up like seven takeout boxes and eat something out of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was curious about that because their food's really good too. But they're still, they seem to still be kicking. But I don't know. We'll see. Next spring, maybe will be the spring for me. We'll see. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yes. Fingers crossed for next spring. It's a beautiful thought. Um, So speaking of celebrating valentine's day and (laughs) uh having to find new and creative ways to celebrate it perhaps we should talk about a new and creative way you might find love in your workplace (laughs) you made it sound creepy with the way you said love it's not creepy love i know (laughs) actually i realized that after i said it it you're like love no 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 not that kind of love (laughs) no it's just it's like i don't know how would you say love in a in an emphatic way that doesn't sound creepy just like love no, no matter <laughs> what no matter what it doesn't work it just doesn't work <laughs> just like love that's yeah. it deal with it straight I feel like it's like non-creepy love it's like love not love love there yeah, we go that's, that's gonna be my way okay. of saying it <laughs> okay that is also non-creepy okay that's better than what I was saying so we'll go with that for sure <laughs> Um, so the article that I have is called what's love got to do with it, a longitudinal study of the culture of companionate love and employee and client outcomes in a long-term care facility. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't that title. It's like, what's love got to do with it? And then like 50 more words. That are totally <laughs> <I know. related. laughs> a longitudinal study of the culture of companionate love and employee and client outcomes in a long-term care setting. It's a very long title. <laughs> um, and it came out in 2014 in Administrative Science Quarterly, and it's by Sagal Barsade and Olivia O'Neill. Her name's actually her name's Mandy O'Neill. She goes by Mandy O'Neill, but I guess her real name's Olivia. Um, <laughs> and uh, just a little tidbit because it was found it felt weird for me to say Olivia O'Neill when I know that she goes by Mandy. Whatever. Anyway, um, so uh, basically, in this study. As I mentioned before, they're interested in the idea of emotions being part of the culture or being sort of their own culture in an organization. So we know a lot about cultures and organizations. We've talked a lot about cultures and organizations. And people really have thought about up to this point cultures and organizations being more like cognitive, like a set of like norms that people share or... Um, the idea that people approach their work or like how they approach their work, like um, how do we solve problems? Who knows what in this organization? How do we get work done? Like all that kind of stuff is kind of the culture 
of the organization. And people think about it more as like a cognitive thing. And in this article, uh, the f- this is the first article that ever came out to focus on emotional cultures, which um, it's about seven years old now, this article. But since then, there have been a bunch of other articles that have focused on emotional cultures as a result of this one. And basically, the idea of an emotional culture is that an emotional culture basically dictates what happens in an organization from an emotion perspective and tells people what kinds of emotions are normative and accepted within that environment. So if you walk into a workplace and you see a bunch of people expressing an emotion, displaying an emo- a particular emotion, um, acting in ways that align with that emotion, that organization would have a strong culture around that emotion. Um, and so one big thing that this paper is doing is demonstrating that organizations can have these emotion cultures and the type of culture they're focused on is companionate love, which is a culture that's organized around uh, compassion, caring, and tenderness for your coworkers and for your clients or in this case, patients. So I hate the word tenderness in this situation, but I'm just going to fly past that. I know. (laughs) I don't like it either. I don't like it either. So we'll have to define it and kind of just ignore the fact that the word is weird in this. But it is a really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to like start bringing out all sorts of love songs. I Um, know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do really like this idea of an emotion culture. And I mean, they obviously exist. Like we could probably think of examples. But it just hasn't really been talked about as widely. So I'm I'm excited to hear about what how they define everything and what yeah. they find. Yeah. So um, so when you kind of walk into a place and you get a sense of its like vibe, that's kind of what this is. Um, it's like you're looking around like what kind of facial expressions are people frequently making? Like, is everyone smiling and looking like friendly or is everyone like grumpy and looking upset or sad or, um, how, like, what's like the tone of voice that people use when they talk to each other? Like, is it a caring tone of voice or is it like a gruff tone of voice or like everybody kind of depressed and bored? Like, um, what are people's body language like towards each other? Is it more like of a caring, compassionate type of body language or is it like a cold standoffish? Um, and then also thinking about um, how people act towards each other. So people are displaying these kinds of emotions. So it really encompasses like you walk into a place and you're able to kind of see, okay, people are really expressing this type of emotion a lot um, or a little, and it can come out in all these different ways. And so that becomes important because that's basically part of how they measured it. They asked employees to rate the extent to which people displayed um, uh, caring and compassion towards each other. They also asked patients. So this was in a a healthcare setting. They also asked patients to do the same thing. Um, They had trained observers um, in the culture actually making ratings uh, of the extent to which they felt like the culture um, consisted of companionate love. And they also had families of the patients um, rating the extent to which they felt that culture. Um, and so across the ratings, they found that people thought that this setting was one in which people really displayed a high level of caring and compassion. I would love to know more about... Well, I think this is really cool that they have all the different area, all the different groups seeing it, which makes sense, right? Like if you're 
Um, if you're taking it out to healthcare, if we're looking at a retail store, like some stores you walk in and you get like a specific vibe or feeling or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you'll go back to some of them because of that. Maybe you won't. Yes. Um, so like customers can kind of get a sense of some of the culture based on the way that people are interacting with each other within that setting. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. And this is probably like a next paper that we should talk about at some point. But I would be really curious to hear like what types of emotion cultures people have defined and found. Like this is like one yeah. very specific type, but I bet there's a bunch of them. And I'm curious. I just haven't read a lot about this. So I'm really yeah, curious yeah. to hear more about that. If, if you have any yeah. tidbits. Yeah. So since this point, there have been several papers that have been published on emotion cultures. Um one, so there's been another paper that established a culture of companionate love in another context, but they also looked at um, cultures of joviality, like cultures where humor is really important and displaying like laughter and um, like basically using humor as a way of um, creating like a happier, more fun work culture. Um, so they've looked at, they call it joviality, but it's basically humor. <laughs> um, and uh And then there's also a paper on cultures of joy where there are cultures organized around feeling like joyous and excited about what's going on. There's kind of like a high energy, excited culture. Um, So there's been a few. And then there's been some uh, on negative cultures. So there's a paper on a culture, cultures of fear. Um, And there's also um, cultures of, uh, of like sadness um, and Mm. despair. So there's a few uh, different types that have kind of sprung from this. Interesting. Well, the negative ones sound sad. I'm guessing you're writing a paper, maybe using some of this. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. My, uh, my hope, uh, my paper on hope is about cultures of hope. So that's Ah. where, that's why I found this paper. And that's um, why I know a lot about all these papers because I've been writing about all these papers for the last like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, fi- I figured I was like, if she's saying there's one paper on this, one paper that I'm like, you yeah. know, because you're really <laughs> in it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and the cultures of hope thing is kind of interesting because um, generally in this research, people think of a positive culture as having positive outcomes and a negative culture as having negative outcomes. But what we find is that hope is a positive emotion. Um, So you would think it would have positive outcomes, but it actually has both positive and negative outcomes. It's kind of a mixed bag. Um, So that's kind of the fun finding of that paper. Maybe Mm. hopefully it gets published and at some point we'll be able to talk about it. But uh, the general idea in the research right now is that a positive culture leads to positive outcomes, which is a lot of what we'll be talking about today. And a negative culture would lead to negative outcomes, which is what also has been demonstrated. So we're complicating that a little bit but overall that's that's generally what how it plays out yeah well i think hope is a much more complicated emotion anyways so it's like it's it's its own thing but yeah that it makes sense from like obviously culture of fear at that least something positive i would be very surprised yes right yes (laughs) exactly um yeah so and and not only do emotion cultures kind of um immerse you in the emotional experience but they also send Um, messages to employees about the importance of those emotions so it boosts like the perceived value like it's really important to be caring towards people um that being caring towards people is key for providing whatever kind of service they're they're trying to provide so in a hospital it makes sense that that might be a place where that emerges and so because there's sort of this understanding that like this is this is how we want to feel and this is the kind of environment that we should be providing there's 
more alignment across employees in terms of the extent to which they actually enact those emotions because it becomes normal for people to act in a caring compassionate way and the more you see it and the more you feel it the more you're likely to understand that that's what you're also supposed to do and the more likely you are to then you know act that way towards others and it kind of like becomes like a sustaining cycle it becomes a culture <laughs> yes exactly yeah um so they found uh so in this paper they have I mean their methods are really cool in this paper so one of the things that I really like about this is that they got a lot of different perspectives like I was saying so they measured um the culture at time one and then 16 months later they measured um the rest of the dependent variables and so they asked uh so all the outcomes were measured 16 months after um they got the first uh set of data and um when they gave out the first survey, it basically asked people the extent to which they saw other people um, expressing these emotions on a regular basis. So expressing caring, expressing compassion, expressing tenderness <laughs> um, <laughs> and affection. Um, and so they basically asked the employees about that. They also asked the patients about that. Um, and they also asked the families of the patients about that. Um, and they basically asked people, as I'm saying, to um, basically say the extent to which they witnessed people expressing those emotions. So it wasn't the extent to which you felt that emotion. It was how much do you see it? And mm -hmm. so they're basically measuring how much does this culture manifest around people as a way of telling whether or not that culture like actually lives within the organization. Can you define those different components? Because um, I know like tenderness and affection, for example, are probably not what you think of initially. <laughs> yeah. So something interesting about this paper is that actually their measure was kind of like a checklist of words. The oh. extent to which people um, had actually um, felt those things. And so it wasn't um, it literally was like not like defined like that it was like a it was uh like to what extent do you feel and it the words are affection caring compassion tenderness or oh do you see so it like was just basically a checklist so it's however you interpret tenderness yeah so to what degree do people in this division or organization express the following emotions at work and oh. those were the questions that they asked and then they ask them on a scale of one to five from like never to very often how much do you see people displaying affection caring compassion and tenderness around you so they actually did not define those terms that's really interesting okay yeah yeah so it's kind of a uh it's kind of an interesting thing because um you know it would be interesting to see what people ha what people were defining those things as um or what they're what they're watching when they're saying yeah that was an act of tenderness or that was an act of affection um they don't really get into that in the paper okay well i mean i feel like i can envision what it might look like um, yeah i think in a hospital setting too it would be a lot easier to think about like okay am i seeing a lot of like the nurses and doctors being caring towards patients am i seeing them showing compassion like, I could see that becoming more clear. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Um, in a regular workplace, it would be interesting to see how those things play out where there's, like, kind of less um, less opportunity than there is in, like, a caretaking context. 
Yeah, I wonder, like, what does tenderness or affection look like when you're not doing caretaking? Right. And it could yeah. be something like, I'm just thinking, like, you know, affection could even just be, like, a pat on the back or... Right, exactly. Something like they, that. They do talk about that, that um, some of these things manifest just by, like, in ways that people just, like, treat each other physically. Not, again, not creepy, but, like, just like <laughs> you're saying, like, if someone's upset... Are you going to like put your hand on that person and be like, it's going to be okay? Like what, you know, like that might be like an example of like affection uh, towards a person. Whereas you could in a, in a culture of that doesn't have a high level of uh, companionate love in it, you could be like, just like standoffish. Right. And like, I had not say anything or you could walk away or you could be like, Oh, that's a sorry. And like, and not really pay attention to it. And that would be a lower score. So I think they're kind of like, banking that people kind of know it when they see it yeah that makes sense well yeah. again future research would be interesting to see how this plays out in other settings and what that looks like and maybe defining it more specifically yes. but even without defining it they saw this occurring yes yes they did and so they saw it occurring and uh it it was consistent so there was consistency in the ratings across different sources uh for for different units so they know that people are capturing something similar um because all of the items uh were related to each other so if you got a high if you gave the unit high scores on tenderness you also gave it high scores on affection and caring and compassion usually um so they're all they're tapping into something similar and um across the different groups the patients families the patients and the employees there were similar ratings for each unit so people are capturing something that is sort of um like they're saying they kind of know it when they see it and people are agreeing across sources um and within source that these things are happening together didn't you say there were some observers too like yes. trained observers yes they do have they did have observers um and they basically had three research assistants that assessed each unit's culture of companionate love at multiple time points. Um, and they would then ask how f they were then asked to respond to the same things. How much did employees in this unit express the following emotions? And they would rate that. Um, and they used that to um, also compare and make sure that um, those ratings were related to the other um, sources. So I'm really curious, and I'm sure they didn't say this in the paper, given what you just said, but I am very curious what they told the research assistants these things meant. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, it says that um, they they were trained, but it doesn't say how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so One I don't day we'll know find out. <laughs> yes, true. We can maybe ask, um, ask Seagal or uh, Mandy what they did. But, um, but yeah, so... So basically what they looked at was how does this impact outcomes for employees, for patients and patients' families? And so they looked at employee, they looked at a lot of things. So I'm just going to go down a list and then I'll tell you what they found. So they measured emotional exhaustion in employees and they also measured absenteeism. So the extent to which people were burnt out at work and how many days of work they missed. Mm -hmm. um, they also uh, measured employees, they're calling it engagement, but... Uh, they measured the extent to which they perceive a high level of teamwork on their team. So the extent to which people are functioning well as a team, which is important in healthcare, and also their employee satisfaction they measured. So satisfaction and teamwork. So um, those are the um, four employee uh, measures just to um, go through those. 
And um, what they found was that uh, the employees were improved on all of these things except for emotional exhaustion. So um, absenteeism uh, uh, went down and um, the uh, what's it called? Satisfaction um, and teamwork. The satisfaction and teamwork went up. Okay, so except for that's so interesting that most emotional exhaustion did not change. Yeah, yeah, but I thought that was interesting to too. Work. Yeah, um, so it's kind of interesting, um, and uh, and so they did find from the outside raters that the outside rater scores were related to lower employee exhaustion, but the employees' ratings did not predict employee emotional exhaustion. Oh. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so other people's observations of the culture had to do with the employees' exhaustion, but not their own assessment, um, which I don't know what to make of that. But basically, the strongest effects were on um, absenteeism, teamwork, and satisfaction because they were across sources related. And I think it's interesting because teamwork and absenteeism, because of what you said with emotional exhaustion, it feels like those two are related. It's like, well, my team, the teams work well together. Like, I'm not going to... Um, you know, kind of flake out on my team, I'm going to be there. Right. You know? Yeah. So there's kind yeah. of like, I think those two things are probably related to each other as well. Yeah. So basically, even though uh, it didn't have an impact on emotional exhaustion, it may be one of those things where these jobs are so challenging in terms of caretaking that there's some other things going on that would need to happen in order for emotional exhaustion to be really impacted so um it's not like it's having a negative impact uh where it's making emotional exhaustion go up or anything it's just that there was no relationship so um it may just be that the story around emotional exhaustion in these kind of caretaking settings is a little more complicated yeah i think it makes sense i mean there's so much going on in these settings and it's such a stressful environment um that this can't be like the one thing that might improve it but it seems like if it's improving everything else around it that's a good thing right and it's all hurting yeah. it so let's yes it still seems to have a lot of major positives um from the employee's perspective yes yeah so if you uh you know want the uh satisfaction and the perceptions of teamwork to go up and you want your um and you want your uh you know employees uh, not being absent as frequently, this is a good thing from an employee perspective. Um, from a patient perspective, they also found a bunch of great stuff. So patients were uh, in a better mood as a result of uh, having higher ratings or rating the culture higher on companion love. So they were happier. They rated themselves as having a higher quality of life. They were more satisfied with their experience and they also had fewer sort of like really negative events, which they measured by trips to the emergency room. Um, so they had fewer trips to the emergency room, uh, which is an objective measure of actually them getting better from a health perspective. So not only did it make them feel better, make them happier, make them more satisfied with their trip, but there was also this like objective health outcome that was associated with being in a culture that was characterized by companionate love. Which is huge. That's huge. I mean, patient outcomes, obviously, is super important for this industry. Uh, I think people that go into healthcare, you know, they obviously want patients to do well. They're there to help. They're there to make a difference in people's health. And the fact that just having a really great culture where people care about each other can lead to patients having fewer um, 
like emergency moments while they're staying at the hospital is massive. That is so big. I can think of so many clients that would love this. <laughs> I just yeah. hope people actually can use it. Yeah. I mean, patient outcomes are huge and predicting patient outcomes can be difficult. So I think that this is a really interesting thing that, you know, the way in which you organize your culture and what emotions people see as normal and, you know, go out of their way to try to express is really, really important. Um, I also think that uh, it's important to note that it wasn't just the patients themselves that had higher satisfaction with the experience. The families of the patients also were more satisfied to the extent that they felt that the culture was indicative of companionate love. And they said they were more willing to recommend the facility to somebody else. So not only did, uh, you know, they have a positive impact on the patients, but also the families of the patients would be more likely to recommend it. And they felt more satisfied with their experience. So from a, an employee perspective, it does a lot of good, but also from a customer client perspective, it does really well um, with regard to the patient um, experience. I love this. This is huge. And I think um, it's not, I mean, it takes a long time to change a culture, but it's not impossible and it's not necessarily an expensive thing to do, if that makes yeah. sense, right? It's now people have to start changing their behaviors, start treating each other with more compassion, more care, more tenderness, <laughs> yes, um, affection, things like that to move that culture where they need it to go. But it's not like you have to pay for like all these huge systems or anything like that. Like you can make this change and start, you know, encouraging people to behave certain ways, rewarding those types of behaviors and getting this culture shift happening and then have impressive outcomes, both for the employees, but also for the patients. And I think for this industry in particular, that's massive, but I think for any industry, you know, whatever, if this holds true in different contexts, then, you know, Obviously, having customers recommend your business is huge. Having customers coming back and saying that they had a good experience. All those things are really important for businesses to stay, obviously, in business. Um, right. So I think that this could have really major impact. Um, and uh, I just love it because it's like, here's um, a wellness approach to something, a positive culture approach to something. And here's like some true tangible business outcomes that yeah. are impacted by it. Yeah. And I mean, basically what they say to your point of it being low cost, what they say is really important is just you need to start demonstrating these behaviors and people who are influentially in, in the environment need to do that. So if leaders or people who hold more power or influence in the environment start acting in more caring ways, you know, thinking about, OK, when I'm stressed, what's my go to reaction? Am I a person that starts becoming like gruff, standoffish or what's going, you know, or am I a person that sort of thinks, OK, you know, I might be stressed, but my stress is not going to um, my stress is not going to uh, impact the way that I treat other people. And I'm maybe when we're feeling stressed, I need to go even more out of my way to show caring and compassion to people. So basically that, you know, thinking about what are your emotional defaults right now? Like what is the emotional culture and what do you need to switch in order to make people recognize that their reaction is this, but it could be this other more positive thing and to get people into the habit of displaying those emotions, particularly people that are more influential because the idea of a culture is that it has to catch on and it's more likely to catch on when, you know, people that are doing it are paying more attention. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also like I envision if I was to go into a healthcare setting right now and a client asked me, how do we change this culture? I think one would be that leadership buy-in, like you said. So get leaders involved, 
show them what the results of this type of culture can be, explain the types of behaviors they should be exhibiting, um, have them trickle that down to their team members. But I would also actually just thinking holistically from a client perspective, like what would you do? I would also send this message to employees at all levels. So whether it's some sort of meeting or I don't know what kind of messaging works best in hospitals. Like there's a lot of complexity in getting messages out, but having people talk about this at all levels, because I think there is something to be said about leaders showing this beha- these behaviors, but I think there's also like this grassroots impact that can happen where people that are really bought into doing this and making this change will start behaving that way as well. So it's hard to be the first in your team to do it if no one else is doing it. But if other people are starting to, you know, if other people at your level are also doing this and focusing on this, then you can make a change even from the bottom up, especially yeah. because of the bureaucracy in the hospitals. Well, okay, I'm just going to go, I'm not going to say too much, <laughs> but based on my experience with clients and people that I know that work in healthcare, there's a lot of bureaucracy in hospitals, for example, where there's sometimes maybe a lack of trust between the two groups, mm-hmm. like, you know, people that are on the floor versus leadership. Um, so I think that there could be some important impact missed if you don't start from the bottom up too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that the idea is that you have to get a lot of people displaying these kinds of behaviors. So whether that's by, you know, making sure that people are more likely to attend to or are displaying those behaviors and start to change the culture around from the top down. Or if you say, you know, maybe that's not going to happen, but this is the kind of culture that we want to have. This is the kind of impact on patients that we want to have. It'll make all, it'll make all of us more satisfied. It'll, you know, make our, our teamwork uh, better, like things that we all probably want to have happen. You know, who doesn't want to be more satisfied with their job? Okay. How do we assess what kind of emotional culture we currently have? Where's the gap? And how can we realize that like, okay, this is our current emotional default, but if we want to change it around, we need to really be conscious about instead of responding like this when something like this happens, we could respond like this. And so kind of building into the culture uh, an understanding of where you're at as well as, you know, how can you make a default response or make it more likely that someone's response in a situation will be aligned with caring and compassion as opposed to something else? Yeah, I agree. And have like, I'm envisioning like champion nurses within each unit, right? So like each unit has like a few nurses that are, you know, brought in with HR, whoever's trying to build this initiative and, and then they can spread it. Like, I think if you have really good team members, um, the way that the teams function in healthcare is just so unique and having some really good voices in there, I think would make a big difference. Um, this is huge though. I love it. I think this is a great study. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and just uh, so everyone knows who's listening, if you're not in healthcare, the authors are very clear to state that there are other cultures that seem to have instituted this. So like Southwest uh, has a, sl- a slogan around love um, that they have a cult. They say that they have a culture of love, love for the customer, love for one another. So like they have they have built a culture like that. Um, Pepsi, uh, they say in the article, uses the word love in their um way that they talk about the kind of culture that they have. Um, so other places are also um, able to institute these same kind of caring and compassionate um, environments. It doesn't need to be just in a caretaking type role. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'd love to see other studies too in the future. And I know you said that some people did study this in other contexts. So maybe yes. one day we can talk about that. Um, because I do think that 
yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of benefits in all sorts of contexts and healthcare is yeah. just seems like an obvious place to start. Um, yes. but it's, I'm sure there's a lot of positive impact. So this is great. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for listening and, uh, everybody go out there and share the love, <laughs> um, and keep the Valentine's day spirit alive. Yes, I agree. I love it. I love, love, love it. <laughs> I love, love. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, uh, anyways, I think it's really interesting and I can't wait to hear about your paper one day with the culture yes, of hope. Yes, me too. So we Hopefully. will, <laughs> <laughs> we will keep everyone posted about that paper because yes, that is going to be super cool. Um, yes. Yeah. So thanks again for sharing that. Love to hear from all of you listeners. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or, you know, just want to know more, let us know. You can always email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can find us on social media at workerbeing on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you haven't already, you can go check out some of our courses online. So we have more content out there for you. We will link to it. Um, and we have a free course, completely free course right now on managing stress in uncertain times. So go check it out if you need more advice or help or, you know, want to learn more about managing the stress that you're facing, please go look that up. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.